Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Welcome to Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that bend. Yes, I am your host your transformational entertainer, countercultural hypnotist, curator of experience, and all-around looper. Yes, I want to bring you wildly unique ideas to challenge your existing belief system so that your unconscious mind is stimulated and you can step into the highest version of yourself because that's what an open loop really is. It's an unconscious provocation. This is a late night talk show for your unconscious mind. All the things you don't think about, your fantasies, your dreams, your darknesses, the impossible. Yes, we discuss all those things as well as talk about things that are right in front of us but don't see on the surface what's hidden, the underbelly. Today's episode, a little bit of that. Uh, Rick Jordan, he's a public speaker. He's a cybersecurity expert. He's a best-selling author. He has a podcast called All In. And again, not your traditional fringe guest, very much involved in government work and in lecturing at top Fortune 500 companies, tech companies, cybersecurity realm, a serious business. But what I liked about Rick and what intrigued me about this guy was that he has very strong, very strong sociopolitical opinions that get him in trouble. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. He speaks truths that uh, provoke people. Things that, well, go against the mainstream. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's Fox News? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, he did do a documentary called Liberty Lockdown about the devastating effects that he believes are being caused by the lockdown. And hey, look, I'm giving him the platform to talk about it. Um, and I feel that he handles it in a very, very fair, very fair and balanced. No, um, he, he handles it in a very fair way, as well as talking about the humanity in cybersecurity, which uh, didn't think we'd go in that direction. Truthfully, I had this guy on and had no idea where we'd go. And it doesn't really get that fringy. I'll tell you that right now. But it remained captivating the entire time. He really 
um, kept me he kept me riveted by his opinions about things and in what's going on in his work with sex trafficking and we get into Russian bots and and what the things that we deal with every day it's good to have somebody on the inside who can tell you what's going on and well you'll hear from him he's rooting for the truth He's rooting for the truth, which I'm very much about. And he's fighting for the little guy, which, uh, hey, you know what? There, uh, I, I, look, I know I could work out more. Okay, I'm not going to say I'm a little guy. I'm a tall guy. <laughs> I, I think Rick, Rick, Rick is going to, I think he'll be there for me. If this episode, I mean, look, this episode might get shadow banned. Rick gets banned all the time on different platforms. Um, so, you know what? If we need to go in with a cybersecurity team and get this episode to air nationally uh, across all the telecoms, all the news stations, we'll do it. Rick and I will push for it. At the very least, before this episode or this podcast that gets banned, make sure you hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcast and share this episode, as well as share open loops with people. And to keep everything going, uh, if you could please, please, please rate the show, leave a review on Apple Podcast, even a few words. It really helps get this out there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited. I'm excited. You ready? You ready to be provoked? Ooh, I always love these ones. Here he is, the expert of cybersecurity, situational ethics author, speaker. This guy's a very cool dude. I enjoyed him a lot. Rick Jordan. Today on Open Loops, we have Rick Jordan. He is a nationally recognized voice on cybersecurity, business, ethics. He's written books. He has documentaries. You you speak in, in front of all sorts of powerful people um, and all sorts of innovators. <laughs> and you, you have your podcast all in. I mean, you're you're pretty every you're pretty much everywhere, Rick. Um, so I am honored. Thank you for coming on Open Loops. I'm excited to be here, man. I love having a good conversation. That's what attracts me to anything these days. Yeah, yeah. What uh, do you feel like your conversations are different than when you initially got into the public speaking game? Have they evolved over the years? Like even on podcast interviews, if you go back, do you think Rick Jordan in you know mid two thousands is earlier than Rick Jordan now? Like, what? How have uh, how have your conversations changed? For sure, they they've changed a lot, a lot. I um one of the side facts about me, one of the lesser known facts, is that I, I'm an ex pastor, as well. Oh. And yeah, so mid two thousands, a lot of that stuff was was churches, you know. But still, where I would speak because I would speak in relations to technology, and even during those years, I wasn't necessarily an entrepreneur. I was working for Geek Squad, and then Best Buy, I wrote the entire sales playbook on Best Buy. So most of my public speaking back then was more like corporate training. 
because wow. I I spent uh, with Geek Squad. I spent three months in Canada training all of the agents. It was several hundred of them as they were rolling out Geek Squad after the acquisition in Canada. So those right. conversations. But I, I take a look back. It's an interesting question, man, because I look at my sense of humor back then, and it was still the same thing. I would like throw in SNL clips of Jimmy Fallon, you know, right? Like uh, right. Nick Burns, the company's computer guy, and just for a little comic relief while you're talking about Wi-Fi and all the other stupid technical points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, totally. Oh, man. Are you the guy that makes me... Now I'm just thinking about anything I've had an issue with at Geek Squad. I'm like, can this be traced back to Rick Jordan? Like, <laughs> anytime I see my name on the list, I'm like, they're making me wait the yeah. five minutes because it says 5.30 appointment. Was that you, man? Did you make me do this? That's so funny. <laughs> I take a look back at that, too, because I knew up until... uh about maybe six months ago, because the gentleman that I trained Canada with, he uh, he ended up becoming the guy, like the head. They called him the chief inspector of all of Geek Squad in North America. And yeah. he, he and I were the two that were side by side. Best Buy wanted me to move to Minneapolis. I just didn't want to go from cold to, you know, like the Arctic from Chicago to Minneapolis. Right, right. Uh, that's why I didn't move. And in that time, I saw him rise all the way to the top and that was the path they were putting me on too so it was kind of interesting to see him but i know it was around that time when i was done with best buy and done with geek squad they really started lowering the bar so to speak of those that they would allow in because i had to go through and i started my career in it when i decided that law enforcement wasn't going to be the route for me at that point yeah and i mean you know, all the way to now, I mean, speaking publicly at NASDAQ, Harvard, everywhere else that I do now about motivation and inspiration and business and all this other stuff that's not even cybersecurity. And then putting on a documentary that has to do with government overreach. It's like, what the heck, you know, <laughs> where, where, where am I centered? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that was going to be my question. That was sort of my next thing. I was wondering if there is in your different uh methods of communicating to the world whether it's a documentary uh which you know you you have one that just came out uh yeah. Li liberty lockdown uh or it's talking about security breaches and uh the stuff you know with regards to cyber i mean cybersecurity is a real hot button issue i know my my little sister uh used to work in cybersecurity and uh she was like a consultant in one of the big companies and we hear about it all the time i mean it's 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 huge. Um, do you think there is an over and then you've got motivation? That was the other thing I was going to say, like, there's yeah, a motivational yeah. guy. Is there an overall philosophy? Like if there was a book of Rick Jordan that and I know you and you have a book on situational yeah. ethics. So like throw that in there, too. <laughs> but if there was an overriding philosophy that puts all of these fields together, I'm always interested. Do you see a pattern? Has anyone pointed out to you what it? Yeah. Be? And it was interesting because I had to, the latest PR firm that I brought on just uh just about a month ago or so was able to tie that common thread together it was the first time anyone was able to do that for me. And I look back and I kind of describe myself as somebody who's, I like to, to protect and lift up the underdog. So mm. when it comes to everything that we talked about that I'm involved in, that is the common thread across the board. So those that, that are disadvantaged or have been taken advantage of, those are the people that I rally behind. So if it's cybersecurity, you know, it's people that are going to get hacked or they have assets to protect, you know, even yeah. all the way up to the U.S. government, which I was at the White House a couple months ago, consulting with the administration on that when it came to AI. And in, wow. even in that room, 
you know, I, I'm seeing this and I was so humbled to be there, man, because it's like out of all the people, you know, even 30 people in the room, this big oak table in the middle of it, I'm one of the only six people sitting at the freaking oak table, you know, with everybody else <laughs> yeah. lining the walls and just, just soaking that in. And when it came time, because I was there to, to talk about really just the human aspect of cybersecurity, which is pretty big because the NSA, the CIA, everybody else likes to get into the technical, right? And the technical, coming back to the underdogs, the technical really like focuses on yourself, I feel, because it's what they know and what, how they can, you know, really show people up by their knowledge and everything. And that's where I like to, they're, they're bullies. I mean, just like anything else, a lot of technical right. people are bullies. Look at the the cable guy that comes to your house, right? To put in your internet or something like that. Yes, <laughs> you know, and yes. It's, it's bad, but a lot of those individuals also have been bullied throughout the course of their life. And I've done a lot of TV appearances on, on bullying, you know, in schools, just in life in general. So there's the motivational aspect, but dude, it's, it's the underdog. I will fight for people that are disadvantaged or for those that have been taken advantage of. That's the yeah. common thread in everything that I do. Wow. You know what? I've never thought before about cybersecurity beyond the technical piece until now, because I mean, I, I, I guess there have been times where I've heard of Zoom bombing. Like that was the big thing that happened yeah. at the beginning of this pandemic. People were Zoom bombing everybody. And my thought is always, why? What's the what's the point? Is it just to <laughs> prove you can? It's some sick power thing. I, I don't. But you're kind of bringing the humanity to it. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's somebody out there that is kind of looking into why. I mean, is it really? Uh, well, what would your answer be if someone was, why do people enjoy going into church Zoom sessions and bombing them? Have you looked into the psychology of what's behind that? Oh, for sure. It's the same principle that's been around for decades now with anything. You know, before it used to be instead of zooming zoom bombing the church service he used to be walking into the church so the yeah. threat actors as we call them in cybersecurity, they're called threat actors the motivations are different depending on what type of threat actor they are you know so if it's a nation state it's really like geopolitical you know if right. it's china or russia you know but if it's a hacktivist it's just to get the thrill out of it but then there's predators man and those are the ones if you're talking about a church you know they're in it really to gain information about the people in that church to seek out targets and this is where you're going to push a hot button of mine because it's human trafficking and mm. when i was talking about the disadvantage of those who've been taken advantage of that's one thing that really gets me going because there's nothing yeah. worse than that and this is the only thing in my mind because man i'm compassionate till really like the ends of the earth for anybody and think that anybody can really be redeemed but somebody who is trafficking another human being as a product stops being human in my eyes you know, right. uh, you can talk to me about a drug dealer, whatever else, you know, even even a cyber, even a hacker, you know, that's doing it for monetary purposes, you know, trying to steal data and sell that data on the dark web to, to make millions of dollars. Fine. They're still human to me. But somebody who yeah. treats another human being as a product or a service, because and you know what I'm talking about with that, those are the ones that just are no longer human in my eyes. And yeah. that's why cyber really gets me going, because it's that side of it. The, the, especially the psychology as you're talking about. So if somebody's Zoom bombing a church service, they can go through the names and they can start doing Facebook searches on them, finding profile pics, looking for underage individuals. That's right. the psychology behind a lot of this stuff, man. And that's where most of the focus of my cybersecurity practice lies is on the human aspect. 
That's so interesting. And also it dangerously tiptoes into something I've explored in this show, Rick. I don't know how far the rabbit hole you go down. <laughs> uh, conspiracy. Um, it, it, I mean, look, I, I am kind of curious about your view. And I, I don't want to push you into saying something that is going to get you kicked out of Harvard business, but maybe you don't care. <laughs> yeah. um, what fine. Is... I'm pretty good at treading water. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Well, I mean, you know, it... okay, first of all, QAnon. I'm sure that you have thoughts on what that even is in terms of being an intelligence briefing that is somehow coming from. Okay, who's Q, Rick? That's my first question for you. <laughs> Nobody really, really knows. But if I were to put, again, coming back to the psychology of it, and it's very similar, which is the interesting part of it, right? And while those methods I don't necessarily agree with. It's still the message that I kind of resonate with because it's sort right. of the same principle as what I'm doing. If I put out a documentary about Liberty Lockdown, is it more of a traditional pathway that I'm trying to get a message out there? Maybe. You know, I, I think more traditional nowadays is what you and I are doing right now on a right. podcast, you know, or talking on Zoom or, or whatever, or putting our opinions on social media only to be suppressed. And we can talk about that in a little bit too, because I'm shadow banned right now on Instagram. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, I want to know about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> but, but putting on a film and doing a grassroots scenario, you know, and having this film, this documentary being shown at freedom rallies, you know, out in California, which is amazing. You just put out a work to get a message out there and really help people to bring the truth to them. You know, right. whatever I feel that that truth is. And e even from a, a bipartisan perspective, we've gotten feedback from both sides and they love the movie for the fact that it really didn't take a side except for the side mm. of truth. And that's what we tried to show. And if you think it's more conservative leaning, I always say, hey, the first dude that's up, the first expert that comes on after you see me in the film as the host is an epidemiologist from UCLA who's a Democrat who has not cut his hair since President Trump took office back in 2016 because <laughs> wow. he's so anti-Trump. But yet he was saying, listen, here's the real truth about how we should have responded to this thing. You know, so when it comes to QAnon, I, I, you know, you want to think and I try to think the best of people. And it seems like they're just trying to put the truth of things out there, at least how they see it from their perspective. Right. And I don't right. necessarily see anything wrong with the motivation. Maybe a little wrong with the methods, but definitely not something wrong with the motivation. Yeah. And I guess I also wonder about, you know, it, since you you worked in intelligence um, and you actually um, seem to know what you're talking about with trafficking. I'm curious what the actual specifically child sex trafficking, but I guess it could be anything. What is really going on versus their version of what's going on? Because their version goes to main big name politicians and Hollywood and, you know, children in tunnels. There's a military fight going on right now. We're rescuing kids. That's and of course, QAnon's like great awakening. We're going to reveal the kids are going to come out of the tunnels. It is a little it. I mean, they're blaming Hollywood, but the way they're approaching it. Like you yeah. said, um, it might not be the, it's a little sensationalist in some exactly. ways. Yep. Um, yeah. Like what is actually like for us to really get our head around trafficking, you know, could you at least sort of point in a direction of what might really be happening? Sure. The, I'm going to get as blunt as possible with you on this too, because it's, it's serious. You know, and kids start to be groomed as young as six years old. 
for human trafficking. And a lot of this is done now because we were talking about Zoom bombing and the psychology behind that. A lot of that's done even with apps. And the, the equivalent mm-hmm. to an app version of a Zoom bombing would be the new app House Party that everyone oh, loves right now. Yeah. And because you can just and then Facebook came out with their own version of that, too, once House Party kind of took off, you know, to collaborate or just meet or hang out with eight people. But these rooms, these houses and House Party, anybody can burst into these rooms. That's the whole purpose of it. Yeah. Right. And then there's there's games like Roblox that have existed for a long time to where individuals, you know, who are the predators can just jump into a game. And that's a bad, bad game, man. Roblox is one of the top ones for trafficking grooming. It's kind of oh. crazy. And because uh, they reveal a little bit more because you can pick off IP addresses pretty quickly off yeah. of that game when you're connecting and trying to play with, with other people online. And then geolocating an IP is really freaking simple. You can go and put the, if you just Google, you know, IP geolocate or whatever it is, you can find millions of sites that will just locate where that IP address is. So if wow, everyone wow. who, I don't know how astute your audience is when it comes to cyber or anything technical, but an IP address is like your street address on the internet, just like your house right. has a street number, your computer or your home has a number that's on the internet that says exactly where you are located in whatever oh, country, man. whatever state, whatever town you're in, and you can pinpoint it within pretty much like three homes surrounding you. Wow, It's that wow. easy for anybody to find you. So if you're on a game like Roblox and then they start saying, hey, you know, you're kind of cool. I like the way you play the game. Why don't you come meet me at Starbucks or something like that down the road? You know, let's let's share a Frappuccino and it's somebody right. pretending like they're 12 years old. And it's really somebody that's like 47 that's right. been in this business for years. And that's how this stuff happens, man. You talk about the tunnels, too. And I have a really, really good friend who's at the forefront of this fight. And for the cybercrime movie, the Cybercrime 2 Uncovering the Dark Web. This is something that I'm going to be doing is going down into the tunnel system in Vegas to where kids are actually trafficked and they're inducted into that business. Wow. It's really, it's really nightmarish, man. And I've seen video footage from her. We're going to include this. And this is why, because I get into the, like I said, the human aspect of cyber. When we started the filming, we started the filming for for this doc in January and there was 12 of us surrounding a table, you know, it was all the 12 cybersecurity experts that were in the film. And I'm the only one that brings the human side of it to everything. Everybody else is technical, which is fine. We need that. You know, we absolutely do. There's a very technical aspect to to cyber, just like there is a very psychological or human side to cyber too. Motivations, methods, all of that behaviors. That's all, that's all the human side. While we're surrounding the table, you know, the question came up just, uh, it, it was supposed to be posed like we were saving the world. Right. And all yeah. these experts were coming around with all, all the knowledge to bring it to the people. And one of the questions was, well, what kind of information can you buy on the dark web or what can you even purchase on the dark web? So people are speculating with like nuclear weapons, you know, which, yes, you can start to kind of broker those deals. But there's different ways for those there, you know, drugs. Absolutely. You know, and right. then they're talking credit card numbers. They're talking social security numbers. All that stuff's out there. And even just a couple of weeks ago, it was reported that hackers are even just going to regular normal cloud services now for that type of data. They're just bypassing the dark web oh, totally man. for reasons wow. of speed, because it, it used to take, you know, weeks to months to get that from the point the data was stolen into the hands of somebody that's actually using it to hack your account. Now it's literally hours or minutes because they're using mainstream services instead of the dark web. So it's wow. like hiding stuff in plain sight now. It's, they're getting smarter and smarter, man, which is interesting. 
you know, because I admire the, <laughs> I admire the tenacity, but at the same time, we have to stay a step ahead. Yeah. As we were going around and they're saying all these things, somebody pipes up and says, you know, I, I even hear that you can buy human organs on the dark web. And I slam my hand down on the table and I look right. I'm like, do you have any idea where those come from? He's like, I, I, I mean, he was just taken back because of my demeanor, because of my poise. And he didn't answer. He just kind of stammered a bit. And I said, those come from kids, man, that have been trafficked. Because by the time they've been, they've spent all of their usefulness in that industry, that's the only thing that's left is their parts. That's it. So they harvest the organs and then they sell them on the dark web for kidneys, liver, whatever else it is. And then at that moment, the director's like, okay, we're going to cut right here for for a minute. (laughs) Because that's the truth of everything, you know? And that's what... I'm happy in a way that a lot of this, you know, how it goes all the way to the top, you know, Epstein and everybody else, you know, Tom Hanks has been implicated in this too. And how across the board, we can see that some of the veil is being pulled back, which is great because for a long time, the media was really suppressing this, you know, it was sort of like the white elephant in the room. Everybody knew what was going on. Nobody knew the depth of what was shaking down, but we just kind of knew it existed. That, that's all that it is. But yet there was a few on the front lines, like, like some good friends of mine that reached to me for support to find them some information, you know, and we're still trying to work through that to try to get the best type of information to the right people to save these kids. It's really yeah. cool that we're, we're starting to see this becoming more aware. And I don't think that's necessarily because of QAnon <laughs> running yeah. the conversation full circle. I just think it's time for it, man, because you can only bury evil so long. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just very um, in this partisan, extremely divisive time. It's hard to separate the opinions from what might actually be happening. Like if you talk about child sex trafficking in a way that really condemning it, you are automatically a Republican, it seems. Or you're yeah, you're you're on the right side. And to me, I'm like, look, I don't dismiss Pizzagate and all these other things because there are out there are claims being made that are serious and worth really digging into if that if you're going to bring something up i feel that you shouldn't just dismiss things as bunk fully you know fully go into it and then maybe you'll see nothing there if you yeah, investigate yeah. it but there's definitely like a responsiveness to even suggesting these kind of things because the wall of, well, that's coming from this mindset that supports Trump that causes people not to uh, have that curiosity. And then I fear we don't even look into any of these issues. Yeah. (laughs) It's always polar opposites, isn't it? When it comes to politics, because, and this is how I've always felt, man, because some say I might side more with the Republican side as far as my personal beliefs, but you know, just like anything, I mean, even something is, simple as like divorce, right? You always have two sides of the story, you know, and they're usually complete polar opposites. So if the, the right is saying that trafficking is this horrible, disgusting thing, and you know, it's blown out of proportion and everything else. And the left is saying that there's nothing going on whatsoever. The truth is <laughs> right. probably somewhere in the middle, you know, because right. it's probably not either of those. One is under-exaggerated, one is over-exaggerated. And we need to find, and that's even with the film that we wanted to do, but even with 
uh, I'm talking Liberty Lockdown, was just kind of cut straight down the middle and just give people the truth, the unfiltered truth. You know, the, yeah. just the data, just like a lawyer would build a case, you know, in, in court is kind of how I look at a lot of these things. I don't really care about the conjecture. I can form my opinion after myself, but I'm not going to force that on somebody else. I'll just give you what's really happening and you yeah. can work out your own opinion. What was the idea behind Liberty Lockdown? How did you uh, find yourself going into that, making this documentary? I love that question. The uh, The director and producer of Cybercrime, the first documentary, approached me because we, we kind of hit it off a little bit during the first doc and just formed a good personal relationship. And he called me up. This was end of May. So pretty much all the states had gone into some sort of lockdown at this point. And so when he said, you know, I, I just don't feel right about all this stuff. And there's got to be something. And even today, I was I just did a story on Instagram right now. You know, I don't know when this episode is being published. But just today, the CDC comes out and says that, you know, 106 out of 7,389 blood donations back in December of 2019 were positive for COVID-19. Wow. That's 1.4%, man. So if you take that as a baseline in December, that means because the population of the U.S. is what, 325 million? So that's like 4.5, 4.6 million Americans huh. already had COVID, already had it <laughs> right, in December right. of 2019. I mean, it's just simple math. <laughs> and it's just using real data. You know, so then it's like yeah. when it came to March, when I was approached for this, and we didn't know this information, you know, stuff just didn't feel right. And when stuff doesn't feel right to me, that's when I start to seek out what the actual truth is. Because if you, again, if you hear two completely polar opposites of the story, there's got to be some truth to both of them. You know, because one's under-exaggerated, one's over-exaggerated. Over so let's find out what the real truth is. But the part that really got me when he approached me and asked if I would be involved in this, you know, as an executive producer and then also as the host of the documentary, is having a cybersecurity company, I was deemed essential. Hmm. I could keep operating. You know, and of course, the nature of my business is that we can function mostly remote. There's still people that have to maintain internal systems, you know, at our data right. center and everything else. But generally speaking, I thought of, you know what, I don't see a point for alarm yet, but I'm going to send my people home because this seems like it's a real thing. We don't know. The hype is also there, too, but we don't know the serious nature of this yet. Nobody knew. I mean, and that's just to be fair. Nobody really knew what it exactly was in March. Yeah. So sending all my people home, it was the pragmatic thing of saying, I don't want everybody in my offices to get sick at the same time. That would be bad for operations. We right. couldn't operate if everybody's sick at the same time. So it was just a very pragmatic choice. It had nothing to do with essential, non-essential, whatever. It just had to do with there's something going around. We don't know what it is yet. So let's just make the right call so that we can keep operating and serving our client base. Yeah. So, but the essential versus non-essential part for the movie, I started looking around and I have friends who are in hospitality that own restaurants and just any other industry you could possibly think of that was deemed non-essential. You know, gyms, you know, fitness is very near and dear to my heart. I was thanking God that I actually had the equipment at home already. I had a rower and I have dumbbells. It's all I use to stay fit and it works quite well. You know, but those yeah. who rely on going to a gym, you know, that maybe have not invested in their own equipments. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we've heard about the quarantine 15, you know, people sitting at home, not being able to work out and yes. they pack on 15 pounds over the course of six months. It's real. 
Yeah, and that's a, a big thing to me because I dropped weight a few months ago. So when you look at essential versus non-essential and all these lives being displaced, really without anybody asking why, and even if they did, really without having a good answer to that question mm. as to why all of a sudden we're being separated, almost as bad, dare I say, almost as bad as racism. Because wow. this has happened in the past because we are now being put into classes in society and that's the part that really just twisted me up inside man even though i was deemed essential i was still hurting for everybody else remember how we were talking about my my fight for those who are being taken advantage of or those that are disadvantaged that's what really rose up inside of me when i was approached with this film because hmm. even though i'm essential what about everybody else? Yeah. Because now if we're segmented into classes by the government, that's a problem for me. Yeah. And I need to find out exactly why this is happening and if this is something that really should happen, can happen. Do they have the authority for this? So the whole film is centered around government overreach and the human aspect, not the technical of the virus and how infectious it is and everything else, but the response of humans that has affected other humans. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, look, I'm gonna, I feel like I have to watch this documentary now. Did you find it? Did, did you find the reason? <laughs> like, did you, do you think you landed on a conclusion that you're like, this is exactly why they're doing this? It's interesting. The, the short answer is yes. And that was brought up by a lot of the experts, you know, because it's, uh, power is really the, the best form of power. <laughs> you know, if I could say that money is not really power, it's just that power is power. And yeah. when it came to arbitrary scenarios, because a lot of these individuals, it all comes down to politics, man, and saving one's own skin. And when you can enforce an agenda, it was almost like there was a perfect storm that the virus came about that allowed certain political agendas to be advanced right then and there. And that's the little teaser that's that that's it, because there were some other things that were put out within the film that I, I, I want to articulate the right way, even though, yes, we found the answer, but it's the words of the experts that are in there. And the virus brought about this sort of perfect storm to be able to push these political agendas and push people into a bigger government, a more socialistic type government to where the government provides everything. And it was almost like this great experiment to where let's see how compliant Americans really are. Oh my gosh. Now, wait a minute. This is like, I mean, look, if, <laughs> if what you're saying is true, how are you getting away with talking to as many tech companies as you are um <laughs> and it is i mean and i hope you'll still be invited i'm sure you are but um yeah i mean look rick this very much goes against what i would imagine the employees of a google who are t bringing people in to talk about you know talk about the vaccines and and i mean they, they probably all watched bill gates's ted talk um course, they know these yeah. kind of things like you would be speaking in front of these people google facebook these companies that said like everybody works from home permanently now pretty much yeah. um i mean do you think this conflicts with that message what has been the response to you being like hey yeah you're doing the work from home thing but i kind of don't believe you should be <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> the, the work from home thing was i think that was a natural trend that was starting to happen anyways and this just kind of accelerated things right regardless right. you know because it 
that's just where that lies. But when it comes to, it's funny because if we're going to get into the social media side of things, I said a little, I, I touched a little earlier that I'm shadow banned right now. Yeah. Because I was, uh, I, I've gained, you know, tons and tons of followers here over just the past couple of months. And a couple of weeks ago, I was action banned, which means that I couldn't do everything on Instagram. I couldn't like photos. I couldn't comment. If I wanted to post, I couldn't put text in there wow. because of some generic reason. And now I see from my own branding people in the insights and I'm shadow banned. What that means is that Instagram is only showing my content, even though I'm paying for ads to, yeah. to get organic reach into other individuals that don't follow me right now. They are only showing my ads to my existing followers. That's what oh, shadow ban is. So it doesn't matter the money that I spend. They're only they're suppressing me right now. Yeah, and that every, feels wrong. Against, yeah, uh, you think <laughs> <laughs> that feels that feels, that's 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 not right in this country. I mean, um, yeah, okay. So this then, why like, there's a movement for social media companies to be classified as an actual media outlet to where there is no mm. reigning? I mean, this is legislation that is, or even executive orders that have been pondered. You know, everyone's afraid of or, or thinking what's going to happen to Donald Trump when he's out of office here in a couple of weeks or, or a month or whatever it is. And now all of a sudden his executive order on Twitter doesn't apply to him. Is Twitter going to shut him down? You know, right. but I, <laughs> I look back and I see, you know, e even on Instagram today that maybe it was today or yesterday. I don't remember, but one of his posts just about the vaccine, that's it. You know, because you've been saying for the longest time, Twitter flags his posts, Instagram flags his posts. It's saying, you know, here's where you find the real information about for, about coronavirus from the CDC, or here's where you find the real election results, <laughs> you know, right, versus right. what he's actually putting out there. You know, and I'm not saying this this isn't even a pro-Trump support talk that I'm giving right now. This is more like First Amendment free speech stuff that I'm talking about, right. because his posts about the vaccine and saying, we're going to have a vaccine next week, ship next week. Right. And I, I know that this has happened already because United reported that they had charter flights that brought them to Chicago, where my office is, where my primary residence is to distribute them across the United States. So United is already in this and there's corroborating stories. That's cool. So he's obviously telling the truth that these vaccines are ready to be distributed when there's freaking charter flights in the air right now. Right. Right. But then there was a disclaimer underneath that that said for the actual election results. So they're flagging a post about a vaccine with election results. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a little that's off. I mean, what do you what do you think? Can you do you always do you ever go? Uh, maybe this was a the technology was a fluke or can you always pin it to a person? Who's Most of these, especially in the higher realms of these things, are typically you know, especially accounts like his, man, you know, he's a high profile. Account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's humans that review all of that stuff when you get to that level, you know, or yeah. even like the largest followers, you know, even though um, I'm sure somebody like the rock, right. Because he has the most followers on Instagram, you know, a right. hundred and something million. And I'm sure there's somebody that reviews his account all the time, even though he's probably like one of the nicest, most humble individuals that ever existed on the face of the planet. You know, but somebody else, like even uh, even Joe Biden or something like that, there's probably human beings on their account too, just to make sure that that they can either push an agenda, <laughs> dare yeah. I say that, or rein in what they don't want to be displayed. 
So that's th- interesting. There are levels, and this comes back to the human side, man. Yes, there's algorithms. Yes, there's AI that exists to start to flag these things. But when it comes to that level and that high profile of an individual, you have to put people on it. That's the only way that these things work. And I know that Instagram does this stuff because I have individual. I know people like my branding people that do have direct lines to people there that give them insider info. So it's yo, dude, yeah. I want to watch that documentary. I know, right? It's interesting. <laughs> That'd though, be man, great. It's like the beast that you can't you can't live without because the the only way to really reach lots and lots of people these days is through social. I was going to ask if you watched the social dilemma documentary and if you had an alternative take on it. What is your what is your thoughts? I mean, the the whole message of us being the product I've heard for years. I buy it. Would you would you modify the message of that movie a little bit? I think it was pretty straight on. And I even had my kids watch it with me. My, my twins yeah. are 13 and my youngest is 10. My 13 year old just got on Instagram about two months ago. Oh, wow. And I, I forced them to have, not forced, but I explained to them that your profiles will be public completely. They will not be private because you have to understand that anything you post out there could be seen pretty much by anybody else. It's not this anonymous area that you can just live and do whatever you want to without yeah. consequence. So, what you're going to post, if you want to be on it, you're 13, that abides by the terms of service, great. Do it. I support you, but everything's going to be public. So understand that everybody can see and everybody in the world can see everything that you're posting. Yeah. And then when they watch the social dilemmas about a week after that, that their minds were blown. You know, it's like, does this really happen, dad? Like, this is the like, are there actual like people behind a desk showing people ads? I'm like, well, that was kind of metaphorical for the right. artificial intelligence that exists. You know, but just AI, it's, it was cool because I got to explain to them how AI works. And AI has to go through a learning period. This is so interesting, man, because I've, I was working with an AI company when we did the White House gig a few weeks ago. Hmm. AI has a learning period. So when you create any sort of AI entity, if I can use that word entity, there's a learning period to where it learns and gets a baseline of information to perform its function. And that where it learns, depends on the data that you feed it. So how the artificial intelligence learns to begin with is based upon a human's opinion of what data to throw at it. Right. There's still humans at the front end of this thing, man. Just like, just like Facebook, just like everything else. And they can take on a life of their own, so to speak after a while, but it's all about the data that you feed it. So the algorithms, you know, whether it's suppressing election information or information about a vaccine, or information about a documentary that I'm putting out there that goes against what the algorithm has learned so far, you can still steer those things and control the data streams that flow into them for them to form their own opinions, so to speak, the artificial intelligence on how to handle the rest of the information. So if you control the data stream as a human, you control the AI. Wow. I wonder if anybody's ever tried to create an objective, completely objective AI. I have no idea. (laughs) Is it possible? (laughs) Probably not. I mean, the human influence is so it's just there no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a guy on this show. This is going to this is going to get very fringe, but I'm curious if you have insight into this. I had a guy that showed me a patent in Google. And he wrote a whole book on this. He was he was a little out there, but he was like, here's a patent that goes back to the 90s that shows you that social media was something they planned. 
way in advance. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't heard that specific thing, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know if you had thoughts on that. Well, the other thing I was going to say yeah. is, yo, if those guys in that documentary who created the like button and Facebook and Instagram are saying, we're not going to have our, we don't let our kids use this. I'm banning my kids. I created this thing. I'm banning them from using this. You, who knows the power of this stuff, in addition to the cybercrime aspect, I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised you even let your kid sign up for Instagram knowing. <laughs> I'm like, you would be, I feel like you would burn all phones in the house. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> what is your take on that? How do you monitor those things? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, obviously I follow their accounts. So there's that aspect of it. And yeah. especially Instagram, they're not on anything else right now. So when it comes to DMs or whatever, and there's always been open communication, and this is more, again, psychology, you know, and, and parenting is really what you're asking about right now. I've always had a phrase that if they're old enough to ask the questions, they're old enough to know the answers. Mm. And that has dictated my type of parenting throughout my entire life, because there's always subjects when I was growing up, probably when you were growing up, that were sort of taboo. And yeah. they would, there would always be this answer, or, well, I'll tell you when you're older, you know, when I would ask a question. And uh, it took a while, but as I went into fatherhood, I started thinking about that, reflecting on my own childhood, thinking, well, why? Why couldn't I have been told at that point in time? I mean, I, I went through this huge upset in my life when my dad passed when I was 16. It was like, all of a sudden, I wish I had known some of the things that I was supposed to be told when I was older, because now all of a sudden I was older and had more responsibilities at 16 years old raising my brother and sister that were five and six years younger than me than a 30 year old or 40 year old or 50 year old did, and having a job and going to school, right. high school, you know, so and everybody coming down on me saying, you know, even, Oh, you need a dad or you're rebelling or whatever. There was a bunch of stuff, man. It was, it was interesting. It's a, that was my thoughts. Like I, I do more than you do. And I'm responsible for more people, more humans than you are. <laughs> yeah. You <know>? yeah. <laughs> so it, when my kids got on social media, that was the perspective that I took, you know, same as, you know, I, I've had a private security agency too, guns and guards. I mean, armed guards on, on high profile assets, you know, I've had CIA training. My kids have been shooting since they were six years old. I mean, like oh, AR-15s, wow. man. And it's the same thing. So when we had riots that were about a mile down the road from us, where we live in one of the suburbs of Chicago, I was actually on a plane going to Portland to film with Lindsey Graham, the salon owner, for the film, for the documentary. And I got off the plane a minute before they closed the boarding door. My luggage went ahead of me to Portland huh. without me because I got word that this was coming towards my house. So immediately when I get home, I mean, I strap on my vest. I've got, I'm carrying my rifle. You know, I've got two more pistols on me. I put other firearms at strategic locations in the house because I live in an affluent neighborhood. Who are these targeted right. towards, man? Me. You know, the, the man, right? <laughs> That's right, what, right, right. The riots we're going after. But my kids, when everything calmed down, and thank God nothing happened that night, but when everything calmed down, my kids who are just 13 and 10 are going around picking up loaded weapons around the house, holding their finger across the stock like they're supposed to, not on the trigger, pointing the muzzle down, and carrying these things the exact way they're supposed to while they bring them to me because they were introduced to this young and they were introduced to it in an educational format in the right way. And that's how I feel about social media. So when they're on it now, if I introduce it to them in the right way, 
hopefully that's going to carry with them throughout the course of their life because I use social media as a tool to get a yeah. message out there. It's not for me to, to mess around with or stay connected with people or have my only form of social interaction in the world. You know, I would prefer over that FaceTime or Zoom any day. Right, you know, right. Whatever it is, that because that's just me. But I understand, too, that most of the world sees that as a way to stay in contact with everybody else, which is perfectly fine, as long as it's not something that consumes your time. And when you're depressed, you go to it. And that's when my kids are going to understand that this can be a tool. That's really what it is. Can it be fun sometimes? Sure, because you can see pictures of your cousins, your relatives, your nieces, nephews, see what's going on in their life, things that you necessarily wouldn't get from a phone call. That's really cool. But other than that, the different weird points of connecting on social media, we can eliminate that and replace that with knowledge that this is a tool to reach people even for business or get a message out there that's conveying the truth to people in the midst of economic or geopolitical chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I, I think that's uh, getting well. Yeah. I mean, you're you're trusting them. I don't know if you're going to let them use house party anytime soon. <laughs> they do, actually. And th th there was wow. so, so here's the human side again. Right. Because you think here's the technical thing. But I thought back to days when there was only one single telephone in the house. That's mm -hmm. it. So you use the metaphors. It's like imagine this with the app house party. It's literally like you're leaving the door open to your house. And hmm. anybody can walk in. Everybody hears the conversations of everybody else. And you're just hanging out, having a good time in a public space, you know, where everybody else, at least in your house. Yeah. If that phone concept that existed to where there was one single phone in the house, in the kitchen or the living room, whatever it was. And when you got a phone call when you were 16 years old from your boyfriend or girlfriend, everybody else heard that conversation, man. Right. So that was the rule. It was a, it was just, I don't mind that you're on it, but you're not in your bedroom when you're on it. You're in some other room of the house with the door open, some common space in the house with the door open to where anybody can hear what's going on. So it's the same scenario yeah. as just understanding that social media is a completely public environment that does not have any anonymity whatsoever. Right, right. Man, I'm still thinking back to like, you know, to, are they going to let you? back on the campuses of these Silicon Valley places. <laughs> you got a documentary that's like kind of, kind of antisocial. Well, I mean, like it's a, it's a little more pro liberty yeah. and liberty is associated with capitalism. And, and yeah. I also think yeah. socialism is tossed around these days on both sides as people not really fully understanding it, you know, to, to a bunch of liberal tech people that are like Rick Jordan, he's interesting, but He's anti-socialist. What would you say? <laughs> Be like I'm more like pro-truth, man, and pro-choice, you know, and not in like the abortion way, because I hate that phrase of centered around that, but right. that's, or steering it that way. But freedom to me is choice, the ability to decide mm. what's right for you. So if they have that, whatever their personal views are, that's what I would respect, even if they're different than me and they want to choose a different path or a different direction to go with their kids, their life, their career, whatever. Awesome. Go for it. I'm good with that because that was your choice to make. Yeah. It's when the choice is taken away from you. And this is the part that's fundamental that I don't think there's very much argument against. Hmm. When the choice is taken away, that's when freedom is gone. And that's right. really what this country was founded on because, I mean, taxation without representation, there was no choice in the matter whatsoever. And still, even at, in the United States, right, if we don't like the choices in one state, 
right? Illinois, with the stupid taxes here, I can move to Florida and not pay personal income tax because there is no personal income tax in Florida. If I don't like the federal taxes, I can move to a third world country if I want to. Yeah. It's, it's freedom, man. That's the freedom that we have living in America is we can do literally anything that we feel is right for us. It's our choice. And the responsibility and freedom is to where you're making a choice that does not harm somebody else. The choice that's right for you that doesn't harm anybody else. So mm. when it comes to socialism, this is where, you know, the liberal tech crowds, it's like, that's great if you want to think that way. But if we're even going back to the essential versus non-essential conversation, think about all the non-essentials that now all of a sudden had unemployment benefits extended and supplements from the federal government. And who's paying for that? Mm. Because if they don't have an income and they're not paying taxes, I have an income and I'm paying taxes become as, because I'm essential. Now I'm literally supporting everybody else who's out of work. Right, right. So if the choice is made, and it's okay to a certain extent, because it's the same thing as making a donation or anything like that, but that's still your choice to do that, right? And this may sound a little uncompassionate in this scenario. Certain people are out of work for a period of time. It's no fault of their own. That makes perfect sense, right? Just like this, they're out of work through no fault of their own, but the fault was upon the government officials in a response to something that was completely unlawful in the way that they responded. That was right. really the point of the film and saying, now I'm suffering because a government official chose to put the burden on me to pay for somebody else's paycheck. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. Now these are very challenging views. I mean, uh, I, I definitely, uh, it, part of this show is for me to constantly go against the narrative that I'm around um, and bring on people with different perspectives. So I, I definitely, uh, I am going to entertain that and, uh, check out this documentary, which where can people check out Liberty Lockdown? It's on Vimeo right now. Vimeo on demand. I know Vimeo is oh. typically for music videos and such. It's not on Amazon right now. We're sort of fighting them <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> Go figure, right? Yeah. That's what when you watch it. I mean, I'll, I'll get you a VIP code too, man. It's uh, but watch it because it's very. It's gotten praise from all across the views of perspective because even like what I just said, I that was really just truth, right? Because my taxes are paying for the unemployment of others. It just is what it is. And was that a choice yeah. of mine? It was not a choice of mine. It was put on me by a government official. And that's just the straight truth of exactly what took place. But yeah. what I do, my response, that's my choice, is really what defines my freedom. Because how I respond to that, what I choose to do out of that, I chose to make a movie. You know, and get the message out there. I can't yeah. change my taxes, right? Because I still choose to live here, which means my taxes aren't changing. That's still a choice. If I don't want to pay for everybody else right now, I could move out of the country. I could move to a different state that might be a little bit more open, so to speak, in the moments, you know, with the economy more freely flowing. It's a different scenario, but it's still my choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I you live in an affluent area. You've clearly built a career um, that, that is uh, I, I would consider it. American successful. Um, if someone, you know, there's a lot of anger right now toward Jeff Bezos, Amazon, 
first yeah. of all, oh, yeah. anger yeah. for not showing your movie. But second of all, um, <laughs> that might be the most important thing. But the first, second of all, um, yeah, this guy has so much, and people are like, hey, look, Amazon's doing so well. I, I, uh, I've talked about this in another episode before. There was a display of New York Times did a thing where they were like, here's the average American income, and here's Jeff Bezos, and it was like a scroll thing. Yeah. <laughs> just kept scrolling. I mean, do you think any of these people that are just not even using the money should help people at all or, or well actually i guess you maybe i i kind of see what you're saying like socialism is telling them they have to you got it versus yep. him making the choice right on from his heart yeah you got it um I, I mean, i'm fully in support of saying you know even if i sat down for a conversation with with jeff and said listen man you got to do more on the charity side and, and here's why and get them bought into that and, and kind of pull the compassion out of them to where it's his choice. But I can yeah. never walk in there and say, you know, cause it's almost like putting a gun to your head and saying, yeah, you're going to do this man, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you, and what is the balance? I mean, look, if the guys like this are never going to do it, and it keep rising. The top keeps getting more powerful. What I I I hope the choice isn't us looting cities and shooting people and yeah. and uh, up doing an uprising. But I don't know, Rick. Do you have a solution? Making everybody just give a little more. How do we become more compassionate? That's a becoming more truthful. You know, not hiding things that exist like human trafficking. Not filtering the the truth of a. Uh, of an election outcome, you know, or putting bias on a side of the story, whether you're CNN or Fox News. And I'm talking both directions, man, because it, it, both of them do not just portray the straight truth, period. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, who you listen to, they, they just all have a filter that exists, you know, and if it's an op-ed, that's a different story. If it's an article that's an actual opinion editorial, you know, and those are labeled as such, right? That's the responsible journalism that exists. I, I think more information, more truth that's out there, the better that people will be able to make those decisions and understand why wow, this really exists. Maybe I can do something about this. Maybe I can help. Maybe I can contribute, you know, and no. even in a scenario like we're talking about with the unemployment, I'm actually okay with supporting individuals with my taxes because that's why that program exists. It is. But it's for a finite period of time, not this unending thing that keeps going or to where we saw that people would not go back to work, where they mm. were called back because they were receiving more money on their unemployment with the federal supplements than they right. were actually in their job with their income and their paycheck. Because now that person's choice, as we were talking about before, is now harming me because they're leeching right. off of me, leeching off of you because they don't have a job and they chose to sit on their butt on their couch because they felt that that was right to leech off the system, so to speak. And then they love the people that put that system in place that said, yeah, we're going to give you money. That's the socialist mentality, man. So it's, right. a, it's not that that's literally what it is. <laughs> so trying to get people to be more compassionate, I think starts with bringing them more truth. Wow. Wow. Okay. You know what? Millions of more questions. I, you, to, to, sort, uh, I had another one before we go. I need to know the answer to this. Sure. Russia, Russian hacking. 
We were told they went into Facebook. They influenced the last election, quote unquote. And I don't even care if they actually, for the sake of this conversation, I'm not trying to be. They made it, you know, Trump went over Hillary. But disinformation is a thing these days. And this notion of fake news. As someone in cybersecurity, are, are, is it the Russians? And are they putting up bogus articles on social media, bots that don't exist? This view that has been spewed at us the past four years. What is your take on what's going on there with disinformation? And even I want to go so far as to yeah. go to deep, deep fakes too. I'm curious. <laughs> you the, uh, was it the Russians? The answer is yes. Was it also domestic influence? The answer is yes. And then there's another documentary that probably framed this up really, really well. It talked about a lot about Cambridge Analytica. And mm, I had a guest yes. on my show that went to Cambridge and was big into data analysis too. So it was a fantastic conversation. And we talked about these, uh, there was a group and this is where Cambridge was hired actually by the, um, I think it was by the Trump campaign at the time from what they said, but it was actually, they were hired by the Democrats first <laughs> <laughs> by, by Hillary Clinton's campaign. And then it was, they were offered more money from the Trump campaign to come on board. Right. And that's how they right. got involved. So when I talk about, you know, is it Russians that influence it? Yes. Is it also domestically influenced? Yes. By putting out the message and the propaganda. And it's very interesting because they called these groups and it wasn't like mass media, but they would pick up pockets of swing states and they would find these small groups in swing states that were not hard leaning yes or no for any specific candidates. It was this narrow slice that they called the persuadables. Hmm. And this narrow slice were the ones that would swing the election. So they were not focusing on individuals that already made up their mind to vote against Donald Trump. And they would present media ads to those who had already made up their mind to vote for Donald Trump, showing him like being triumphant, right? Hmm. Just reinforcing that psychology so they would stay there. And then the persuadables, they hit really, really hard with negative ads about the other candidates and showing those persuadables, like how things could change. And that would gently push them over. You would start to see like the, the influence that would surround these larger cities and then just spread out as these ads just kept getting pumped more and pumped more. So it's, it was a propaganda machine, man, to steer the message, the direction that they wanted it to go. So it still came back to psychology. It still came back to humans. It wasn't yeah. bots. It was people that analyzed just the behaviors of human beings and how they influence others in socially diverse areas of the country <laughs> and yeah. find out exactly how to hit those depending on where their mindset was in that moment. Mm. It was absolutely incredible, man. And it's when you get into data, I mean, you get data tells a story all across the board. Even when we follow cyber attacks, we can tell where it's coming from, what the motivation is, which leads us to the exact threat actor. So it's like a backward scenario to find exactly who's doing it. You figure out the why, then you can find out who's doing it. Yeah. So it's always humans, man. It's always humans that almost everything under the sun comes back to. Just technology is a tool to, get, to accomplish those agendas. The fact that you wrote a book called Situational Ethics makes me go, huh, what? Does, where does the, oh, I mean, is that the pastor side coming in? Why do you talk about the tech? at all in that book or where where was that born of there's no uh there's no talk about tech whatsoever except there's some stories from clients of mine on the tech side 
but it had to do with humans because the premise of the book is that it's almost always a matter of dollars and cents. I mean, right in the preface, it's situational ethics is almost always a matter of economics. Mm. Uh, and, and it's really money is, which is, you know, and uh, I go back to the pastor side, right? To how some will misquote and say that the love of money, or they'll say that money is the root of all evil when it actually says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's misquoted, mm. keeping out the love part. And they'll say that money is the root of all evil. Money's a tool, man. Money allows us to accomplish things. It allows us to do good for people, as we were talking about. It allows us to, to build more. Because if you have more, then you can do more. And you actually have more fun when you're doing more for other people. It's yeah. really kind of this self-fulfilling circle that you can get involved in. And the book, the tech side, was only talked about a little bit when it involved scenarios of insider threats, which is a division of cybersecurity that I'm heavily involved in, because that's the human side. You know, people like a lawyer siphoning case files to to start her own firm. And those cases ended up settling for something like $6 million. You know, yeah. she was caught in the middle of it, but that was the value of that data that she was trying to siphon off and she was caught in the middle, you know, or a dude downloading a book of business. He was a sales guy that was worth $25 million and found him on company GPS sitting in the parking lot of their largest competitor, my client's largest competitor. Wow. looking to leverage that data for a higher paying position or just sell the information for a few million dollars. You know, it was really worth like $25 million worth of annual revenue. So wow. again, it comes wow. back to the human side, but there was tech that was used as a tool in those scenarios to identify these individuals. But then when you start to look at the data and you figure out what the motivation could be behind this data going out the door, that's when you find the people. Situational ethics. We've got Liberty Lockdown. You know, the final question, Rick. You say you speak the truth. For you, how are you so sure that it is the truth? What lets you know that your perspective, like I, I, I believe you are open to change, but I am curious in a world where disinformation is so rampant people are doing it human predators yeah, are doing it yeah. all different angles you know you have your beliefs and you also have data that supports it is there a way that you would guide others so that they have a good barometer for what is truth and what is false there's an old uh, there's an old phrase trust but verify <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty simple. And, yeah, and, and that that's what it is. You're I am so open to change, man. I mean, people can change my mind at the drop of a hat. There's some things I'm just like any other human being, just to be vulnerable and say that some things can get pretty ingrained in me like yeah. anything else, but there's always there's always that yearning that I have to continue to expand. You know, and as long yes. as I'm never yeah. set in any opinion that I have, I feel that I'm going to be open to other individuals around me. And I, I love hearing others' perspectives because there's no way, dude, I love being the dumbest person in the room when I walk into it. You know? <laughs> and yeah. with, the, with the cybersecurity company, I mean, it's, am I smart at that? Yeah, you know, might even call me a genius. And what is a genius? It's somebody that knows a lot about something, right? That's really right. all that it is. And I know a lot about this. I've been doing it for so long. I can, I've caught individuals red-handed, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm one of the 18%. The Department of Homeland Security actually says they know what's going on, you know, versus the, yeah. imagine that four out of five cybersecurity experts don't even know anything. <laughs> it's, <laughs> wow. it's funny. But I think this is the component, though, is that it's really missing the human side. And this is probably where the, the ex-pastor part of me really, really helps 
because it's the compassion that I have for everybody else in the world. And I don't typically put myself first, which it can sometimes actually harm me in some ways. But as long as I trust out of the gate, but then I can verify because there is so much misinformation that's out there, you know, but if you're open to another perspective, if you're open to talking about it, that's one of the big keys, just like we're having a conversation today. I was even on a July 4th, uh, I don't remember the show, but I was with an awesome African-American dude and an awesome Hispanic dude talking about the riots that were going on in the state of liberty in our country. I mean, just a racially diverse trio of people. And we had an amazing conversation, man. (laughs) Just an incredible conversation. And in that process, I learned so much about different perspectives. You know, even though I had my opinions, but it's like, tell me what you have. You know, tell me what you're thinking. And then I said, well, I can see where that is. So even if I disagree, I can still respect where that other person is coming from. Yeah. Well, very cool, Rick. I, You know what? You've been great. This has been a very enlightening Thank you. conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes next. I'm excited to uh, see that the next... Uh, dark web documentary because i again it's always intriguing what's going on man and as we know with the way technology evolves some creepo is going to take advantage of it and twist it some way next and i know you're going to be on top of it so you got um, it i'll leave you with this on the dark web the dark web is simply the place where the transaction takes place there still almost always has to be physical delivery of the goods Oh, interesting. Very up. Oh, there's that's an open loop. He did it. <laughs> Kept the loop open. Thank you, Rick. You've been awesome. And uh yeah, come back again sometime. I, I really awesome. enjoyed this conversation. There it is, folks. Rick Jordan. Thanks so much, Rick, for coming on. If you want to check out more of him, go to www.rick jordan.tv and listen to the all in with rick jordan podcast you know this is uh are you still listening to this this episode didn't get banned wow good on you good on you but also maybe it's just shadow banded you're one of the loyal listeners and that's uh that's why you made it all the way to the end because we can't get this out to an audience beyond it. I'm not sure. I don't think I've been shadow banned. Maybe Rick, though. Maybe I'm going to get uh, secondhand shadow banning from Rick. Oh, gosh. He could talk to the Surgeon General about that kind of thing. Uh, wait, that's... Yeah, now I'm mixing up metaphors. Look, I loved having Rick on. Really cool guy. You are a really cool person for listening to the show you really are and look again if you if you get a chance to just leave a rating on apple Podcasts and even write the word good hey it helps get this out there i i but either way you're busy i'm grateful you decided to listen thanks so much and talk soon